Blog Talk Radio. A Chicago, and it's not as bad as everybody thinks. Crime is up everywhere. Prices, <laughs> food prices are up. If you've been in the store lately, <laughs> food prices are out of this world. Have you been at the gas station lately? 
gases. And everybody trying to blame Biden for this. This is not Biden's fault. The Republicans want you to believe that it's Biden's fault. It is not his fault. It is the fault of COVID-19 and the fault somewhat of people who refuse to get vaccinated. So don't let right-wing media say this is Biden's fault. They're looking for anything that they can to hang Biden with. They are. I mean, they really are total scoundrels. And they're going after Biden because of one person, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, their king, their emperor, their dictator. He's their dictator. <laughs> and and they, when he uh, talks, they jump. They jump high. And they're proud to be jumping every time Donald Trump gets in their butts, gets in their asses. Blame Biden for all of this. Biden's trying to do great things. I think he's going to be a great president. People don't agree with that, but hey, wow. That's what I think. I don't know what you think, and I, don't, and I really don't care what you think. I think the man's going to be a great president. He's getting things done. He wants to get more things done. What's standing in his way? GOP. Kevin McCartney, McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, Jim Jordan, and the rest of those idiots. Now, all the Republicans are not stupid. They're not idiots. They're not buffoons. A lot of them are. And I want to say good for Nancy, and I uh, entitled this particular show Good for Nancy because Nancy is the is the one that has come up with this January 6th commission to investigate what happened on January 6th. The Republicans voted against it. They didn't want it. They didn't want it. So Nancy uh, uh, kicked Jim Jordan and some Jim Banks representatives off the commission because they voted against the insurrection. I mean, they were a part of the insurrection and they voted against the 9-11 commission. I think it good that she did that. These guys would just clown up the commission. That's all they would do. They will hinder it. They will hold it back. Jim Jordan is just a mouthpiece, a showcase. He wants to be famous. But he won't be. Not for this anyway. And Kevin Cartney, Kevin McCartney is out there blasting Nancy Pelosi. And most of us if not all of us, think she did a great job. Who wants to watch uh, Jim Jordan screw, screw things up, turn it into a clown show? This is serious. We want to find out what happened on January 6th. Not, for, not to see Republicans on this commission showboating. This is serious. And this is all they would be, showboating. I think Marjorie Taylor, Marjorie Taylor Greene asked to be on the committee. I'm pretty sure they turned her down because she was part of the incitement. She had, uh, from what I understand, she had people at this insurrection that she knew. And a lot of this uh, insurrection was uh, Republican incited, not just Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the king mouthpiece. But a lot of people in Congress 
were complicit in this rioting, in this insurrection on January 6th. And now they're trying to infiltrate (laughs) the um, commission that's going to investigate it. It's a partisan uh, uh, investigation. Now what I understand, there's only going to be, I don't know, six six Democrats and one Republican, Liz Cheney. Well, that's good enough. I mean, hey, wow, they're going to go along. uh, They're going to go on with it. It's going to continue. It's going to happen next week from what I'm hearing. Uh, and that's good. Don't let Republicans do nothing Republican. Lying Republicans, asshole Republicans, stop this commission from going through because they want to put people on the commission to investigate what happened who are a part of their insurrection. And I applaud Nancy Pelosi for kicking these assholes off the com- commission. They're out there, Republicans are out there screaming loud, Nancy Pelosi this, Nancy Pelosi that. They cannot intimidate Nancy Pelosi. They will not intimidate Nancy Pelosi. She's doing the right thing, and they don't like it. Who cares what the Republicans like? They don't like it. They don't like the fact that she's a woman and she's kicking their butts. So this commission is going to go on. It's going to start soon. By the time you listen to this show, it may have already started. And um, basically, it's just to get to the bottom of what happened. It's not seeking to arrest anybody, which could happen, might happen, but it's not going to do that. It's, it's trying to find, this commission wants to find what happened how it happened, who was involved, just to prevent it from happening again. No one's going to go to jail, I don't think, but you never know what's going to happen during the investigation by the Democrats. I think it's going to be six, as I said, I think it's going to be six Democrats, six Democrats sitting on the committee and, um, one Republican, Liz Cheney, because <laughs> the other two were kicked. Actually, there were five Republicans um, that were sitting on this uh, January 6th commission, on Pelosi's January 6th commission to investigate. Pelosi kicked two of them off. So uh, Kevin McCartney the House Minority Leader, he snatched them all from the commission because he was pissed (laughs) that uh, Pelosi kicked two of them off who were actually, who actually voted against the commission. And we didn't want no showboating on this commission. They would just showboat their asses off, uh, uh, obstruct. They were there to obstruct. That's all and she knew this. This is why she kicked them both off off the commission. She didn't want to, but she didn't want to, she didn't want people on the committee that uh, was against the investigation. And I applaud her. I totally applaud her. 
but believe it, but believe me when I say, once this commission gets started up, and it's going to be very soon, Republicans are going to be screaming to the highest volumes on how unfair and uh, and un-American it is. And I want to say to my uh, listeners, don't believe it. You know that the Republicans are just liars uh, in every form and in every way. They don't want this commission because a lot of things can be found out about them. We will know how complicit they were on January 6th. I'm talking about Senate Republicans. Even Republicans in the House of Representatives, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, all of these idiots. You wonder how these people uh, got their jobs. How were they voted in? I mean, there's so much criticism on uh, on both sides. But anyway, uh, let me go back to say good for Nancy. Now we're going to get to the bottom of this. The Republicans are going to be obstructionists. They're going to be lying. <laughs> They're going to be trying to derail this uh, commission once it starts. It's going to be a lot of talk about it. it. I mean, they're going to try to convince people that Nancy Pelosi's commission for January 6th to find out what actually happened is the worst thing that could ever happen to America. Believe it. Believe it. They're going to be, I'm going to, I'm believing it. And I'm just, uh, uh, I think there's going to be more fanfare from just this commission and triple fanfare coming from Republican opposition of this commission. I mean, they're going to be ripping Nancy Pelosi a new one. And Nancy Pelosi is going to be ripping them a new one. So you're talking about a divided America. A divided America. America has gotten more divided. And you can blame the Republicans for that. But they're going to try and blame the Democrats for it. But this is, this is strictly a Republican um, maneuver. But they're going to blame everybody else that they can. The Democrats should not sit down and let the Republicans lie and continue to lie, bash, and continue to bash them. But this is all they're going to do. And I can uh, probably say this, that at this very moment, the Republicans are plotting It's funny, but they are. They are plotting to how they are going to defend themselves against this January 6th commission. Regardless of what it finds, regardless, they're going to try to defend themselves. They're going to, you know, I mean, they're going to be throwing out all kind of lies about the commission when it hasn't even happened yet. So far, it hasn't happened yet, but. I'm hearing it's going to happen soon, soon as next week. I mean, if you listen to the show, I'm pretty sure you'll be listening to the show 
after um, implementation of this January 6th commission by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, along with Liz Cheney, the one and only Republican. Now, when this commission starts, when this January commission starts, people are going to be glued to the television. Every day of this commission. How long would this commission last? It may last to uh, 2022 and the midterm elections. Something the Republicans don't want. They feel if it lasts long and into the 2020 election, it will hurt them. It will hurt them. The only thing that's hurting the Republicans are Republicans. They have no issues. They have no policy. They have nothing that they're on in America. They're not trying to get your vote. They're not trying to persuade you to vote for them and not to vote for the Democrats. They're not doing anything. For years, the Republicans have been the do-nothing party. I mean, how many bills are still sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk? that the Republicans are refusing to bring up for even a single vote. A single vote. How many bills are sitting on his desk? I should say how many bills are sitting on uh, Chuck Schumer's desk because he is now the leader of the Senate, barely, but barely, he's barely uh, the leader of the Senate. It's a shame that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans still have sway, even though the Democrats, they have the White House, they have the House of Representatives, and they have the Senate. But by tiny margins, margins so tiny that the Republicans, if they're successful, they could win back the House and probably make Donald Trump the House Majority Leader. I've heard that. But there's no doubt about it. The Republicans win in 2022 and 2024. America is over. They will never give back power to the Democrats. They will find a way to install Trump back as president illegally, but they will try to find a way to do that. Forgetting that we have a constitution that they care nothing about, nothing whatsoever. They put the Constitution in a toilet and take a piss on it, and they're proudly to do that. We have a bunch of crooks and thugs in our government, and they've been in our government for years. And I'm talking about legislatures, GOP legislatures around the country, around America, Voter suppression. Let's talk about that again. I talked about that yesterday uh, on my show, which we're still having some audio problems. But I think it, it did record, and it's out there. We're talking about voter suppression, and I talked about it extensively yesterday because that's what's happening now. I am. I have a little hope because Democrats are fighting back. Even if in the future they will not be able to 
fight back. And these bills, these voter suppression bills around the country and these GOP legislatures, at some point will pass. But at least it's buying us some time. So we can get all Democrats on board and in the filibuster. That's what we that's what needs to be done. We need to end the filibuster. But we do not have at this point, from my understanding, we do not have all Democrats on board. There's two holdouts, as you probably know, Mansion and Cinema. These two people who ran as Democrats. They won their seats with Democratic votes. And now that they're in office, they're acting like Republicans. And I said this before, and I think I wrote this. Their constituency, their voters, must be pissed off. Because they tell themselves, their constituency tell them tell themselves, we voted for these two people, we voted for two Democrats. Now that they've got the power, now that they're in office, they're acting like Republicans and not doing their jobs for the people who elected them. And that's going around. A lot of elected politicians, after they get in office, They don't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. They don't know who gave them their job, and they don't care. All they know is they got power, and they want to hold on to it. Screw the people who voted for them. Screw the people who worked the polls for them. They're in power, and they want to keep it. And they want to stop black people from voting. They want to stop all people from voting. They want to stop their own voters. From voting. I mean, anytime you tamper with mail-in voting, everybody does mail-in voting. Donald Trump and the Republicans, they do mail-in voting, but they don't want us to do it. They don't want us to do mail-in voting. They are the privilege. We're not. They don't want us to stand in line and vote. They'd rather for us to drop dead in line than to vote. And this is no lie. Because I've said this before on the show years ago. When people don't vote, when people refuse to vote, Republicans win. If you vote, Republicans lose. Simple as that. And they know it. They know it. They know it. All right, you've been listening to the George Water Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. We're going to take a musical break, folks. We will be right back.
we always do at this time it's time to make it make sense now this week's question is coming at you from phoenix arizona i got a question for you why is donald trump running around free i mean he incited a riot he continues to do so uh, people in court defending themselves are citing him as the reason why they attacked the capitol i if if we played by his rules he'd be in jail or worse 
I don't understand why can't he, isn't there a seditious line he can cross? I know we have free speech in this country. As my friend's four-year-old would say, we should cut his butt off and put him in jail. Can you make sense of that? Thank you. What is my four-year-old? Can't, I cannot. Hey, everybody. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of Illinois on the north side of the great, great city of Chicago. We are now on the air. Fun time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Have a great time.
I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at Seventeen Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and The Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. <laughs> so my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families. The last place we would want or expect to find violence, which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends, and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway, and he started chatting me up. He told me two things. One was that he, too, had just graduated from an Ivy League school, and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny. And he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks, and this wheat blonde hair. And he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning 
was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this, especially at the beginning, by idolizing me. We started dating, and he loved everything about me, that I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart. And he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you. Because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, this, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. So I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me, because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York and my, my dream job. But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed. And I quit my job. And Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed. And the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day. 
Connor first physically attacked me five days before our wedding. It was 7 a.m. I still had on my nightgown. I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment, and I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream. And he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall. Five days later, the 10 bruises on my neck had just faded and I put on my mother's wedding dress and I married him. Despite what had happened, I was sure we were gonna live happily ever after because I loved him and he loved me so much. And he was very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me. It was an isolated incident and he was never going to hurt me again. It happened twice more on the honeymoon. The first time, I was driving to find a secret beach. And I got lost. And he punched me in the side of my head so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic, and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that 15 million children are abused every year. 15 million. So actually, I was in very good company. Back to my question. Why did I stay? The answer is easy. I didn't know he was abusing me. Even though he held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview. I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was a very strong woman in love with a deeply troubled man, and I was the only person on earth who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks is, why doesn't she just leave? Why didn't I walk out? I could have left any time. To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask, because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser, because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship, after she's gotten out, because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, even after the abuser remarries, denial of financial resources, and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. I realized 
that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying. As if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence, like me. Because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man. We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or, wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you, there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused, or who were abused as children, or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend right now. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here. Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene de-escalate it, show victims a safe way out. Together, we can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you.
You got a friend, the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Internet radio is now on the air. And I want to say this once again. I want to reiterate this once again. I think I said it at the start of the show. I'm pretty sure I said it on a previous show. We have to get off the sidelines and save our democracy. The only people that going to save our democracy we are Americans. We have to get off the sidelines and save our democracy. We cannot sit back, lay back, rear back, rear back, and let the Republicans wreak havoc. These people think that they're in power. In some cases, they might be right because the Democrats are so weak on certain things. So we have to get off the sidelines and get out there and save our democracy. We have to put in the action. We have to put in the work. We can't sit back and hope others do uh, our jobs for us. We have to do our own jobs. The people run this. How many Americans are there? 350 million Americans, maybe more, in the United States. We got a few assholes in Congress and in legislatures around America. The people got this. We have to embolden one another. We have to encourage one another. Some people are saying, how am I going to fight back? I fight back with my vote. No, you will not be fighting back with your vote if they successfully suppress your vote. Now is the time for ordinary grassroots people middle-class people to get up off their rear ends, stop making excuses, get out here and fight back. Well, I don't know how to fight back. What am I going to do? 
you have social media, that's a good way of fighting back. I mean, when I say fight back, I'm not talking about confronting people and throwing (laughs) fisticuffs or anything. You can fight back in the media. You can fight back on social media. You can join local uh, affiliations and and fight back with other people, other like-minded people around in your neighborhood, in your community. And once you do that, it will resonate all over America. But we have to get up, get get off the sidelines and do something. We cannot let Nancy Pelosi do all the work for us. We can't sit back in our easy chair or our rocking chair and say, wow, I'm so proud of Nancy Pelosi when you didn't do anything. That's Nancy Pelosi. You didn't do anything. Well, I sent her some money. I mean, you have to get out there. And I'm not saying get physical as as some people, well, I'm not I'm not a boxer. I'm not Muhammad Ali. I can't get out there and fight Republicans. Republicans are just as scared or just as much cowards as anybody else. As I got as I just got through saying you fight back with social media. I mean don't say anything derogative or don't say anything violent, uh, because you will get banned. Because I know people I've known people who have gotten banned. And they cannot no longer uh, post on Facebook or Twitter. But there are uh, reasonable things that you can say on social media to fight back. Believe me, when you post on social media uh, in a way where you're trying to save your democracy, people see that. The right people see that. Don't ever think when you post something that only your friends see it. People at the top, they also view every post that you make. Get off the sidelines. I mean, if you're going to fight back, fight back through social media, fight back through the media itself. I mean, you got so many outlets where you can fight back. You got Facebook, you got Twitter, you got LinkedIn, you got YouTube. And believe me, you, once you start fighting back, you will hook up with like-minded people who are also fighting back like you. But George, I can't fight back. I'm in a wheelchair. Oh, there's nothing wrong with your fingers. There's nothing wrong with, you know, the keyboard. Because right now they're trying to stop you from casting a vote, especially mail-in ballots. You need to fight back. And I do think people are going to fight back. Anytime you trying to try to stop people from voting, that's just going to make them want to vote even more. Donald Trump got 75 million votes. More votes than any other president in history. He could have won this election. But Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Lucky for us. 
Why did Joe Biden get 81 million votes? Because we went out there and we stood in line. We waited our turn. We waited hours in line to vote. We didn't give up. We fought. That was one way of fighting. Standing in line and waiting your turn to vote if it takes hours and hours, and a lot of times it did. But you use social media to get your thoughts out there. You can always contact your senator, your representative, even the president of the United States, and let them know how you feel. You tell them you're not going to send them another cent until they start doing something about the filibuster. But we know that they can't do too much about the filibuster because you got two holdouts. You got two Democrats who are actually Republicans. As I've said earlier, I'm pretty sure that their constituency is saying, what the hell is happening? But they don't care. There's another thing. You got a lot of people, a new, a, a lot of new congressmen, a lot of new senators. They're in Congress for one thing: to get famous, to get their picture in the paper, to get on, to, <laughs> to get on television, and lie. I mean, you take Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bobart. These are these are just people who want to be famous, say dumb shit, do dumb stuff. Um, just to, you know, have their name mentioned in the paper, on the computer, or in the news, even if it's negative. Any kind of publicity is good publicity for people who are seeking fame and fortune. And the bad thing about it is um, their constituency is sending them money, making them rich, while they're out here sprouting that idiocy. So get off the sidelines and save our democracy. We saved it against Trump uh, and his insurrection on January 6th. We got to save it again coming in 2022. We have to be proactive. We have to be proactive. We have to let our voices be heard because the Republicans, they don't give a care. I wanted to say something else. They don't give a care about what we think, how we think, if we think. They don't care. They don't care if we're black, white, green, or yellow. They want to and they will suppress the vote. But I think no matter how much these people, these Republicans try to suppress the vote, It's going to backfire. As I've said, no one likes to be told what they can't do when they have every right to do it. No one. And the majority of the people in the United States know we have a rogue Congress in terms of rogue Republicans. 
All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to we're gonna go off the air a little bit earlier tonight because I have to try and look at the uh, audio situation that I'm having on the show. But don't, don't fret. We're going to always be here. It's just that we have to check a few things up. It's never easy. It's always complicated. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing this show. Uh, like I said before, yesterday on the show, we will be having guests on the show. So you'll you hear more than just my voice. <laughs> but however, however, excuse me, however, right now we're just getting started with the show. We're just bringing it back. And we have to try and get our footing once again on the show. Uh, so we're going to end it uh, probably 30 minutes earlier than usual because I need to see uh, where we are in the show. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for uh, downloading and telling everybody about the show. And I want to thank how much you loved the show in the past. I'm hoping you still will love it now that we have regrouped it. Um, basically, some of the things are still the same. Some things can be different, and we're just uh, uh, just starting. And if you feel that the show could be different and you feel that it's missing something, hey, let me know. Drop me an email. Give me a, give me a call or whatever. Let me know how, what I can do because the show is solely mine, solely mine. I'm 100% the owner. <laughs> I direct it. I produce it. I host it. I write it. So the show actually belongs to me. Uh, so if anything goes wrong, and that's the way I will, and that's the way I like it, because if it belongs to me, if anything goes wrong, you have no one to blame but me. I'm the one to blame because I am George Wilder Jr.'s show. All right, we're going to be cutting the show short right now, but never fret. We're going to get that hour and a half in maybe tomorrow because I need to check some things out uh, of this, um, what is it, technical difficulties? I I have to learn those two words. All right, ladies and gentlemen, take care. Take care of yourself. Get off the sidelines. Save our democracy. Uh, Good for Nancy Pelosi for kicking those two assholes off of her January 6th commission. Uh, She's taking a lot of flack for it, but we have to stand with her on that. All right, uh, I'll see you tomorrow, folks. Same time, 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now off the air.